Hello Sunderland fans and welcome to the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. I'm your host for today, James Copley. I'm joined by a walking wounded Phil. Phil, how's the arm? What's happened? Yes, I've uh, suffered a semi-serious uh, cricket injury. So um, I am in huge amounts of pain. Um, <laughs> and just to, just to say as well, the meds I'm on, I've been told to expect drowsiness. So if I just fall asleep... <laughs> In the middle of this pod, uh, viewers and listeners shouldn't be too alarmed. I'm just having a little drowsy spell, um, but we shall we shall muddle on as best we can. It's dedication, Phil, that you're uh, that you're still in work. To be honest, fair play, big respect. I'm doing my best, but yeah, I'll be even less <laughs> insightful and interesting than I usually am. So just to get an early apology into our uh, our very patient listeners. Well, before you broke your arm, uh, Sunderland's and the rest of the Championship's fixture list was announced. You attended a breakfast at the Foundation of Light. Sunderland's sporting director, Christian Speakman, was there. You got a little one-on-one time with him. Uh, a few pieces on the Sunderland Echo website, which you can read. What was your general sense of, of what's going on at the club at the moment? And I guess, as always, the big question this time of year, transfer latest. Yeah, it was interesting. I think... Um... There's a real, um, as much from the supporters who were there as well, I think there is a bit of a feeling of excitement, I think, at the moment. Um, you know, we discussed, well, we've discussed a couple of times, haven't we, on this podcast, that hugely unusual at this time of year for someone to have, you know, three bits of big business done income and transfers-wise, when obviously they made it a fourth the next day. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Steve Davison was there, the club's chief operating officer, saying that the season cards, I think, were already at 32,000. Um, which is significantly ahead of where they were last year. And from what I understand from conversations I've had with other people, is I think not far off a record for sort of the stadium alike. Um, so I think that, you know, there is that sense of um, real excitement. And part of that's because of the success of last year in terms of finishing sixth. And obviously part of it is because of the of the project, if you like, and the style of football and the young players. So, um yeah, I feel like there's a there's a lot of optimism. I think what and something we've discussed before as well. I think sort of the unknown, if you like, is what the rest of the division is going to be like. Because obviously, it's not just about you and your squad; it's about everybody else's. So I think in the moment we're just kind of setting that positivity and that optimism about where Sunderland are against the fact that it looks on paper at the moment like it's going to be a really strong field next year, and that's going to present a lot of challenges. Um, so yeah, quite exciting. But in terms of the transfers. Um, I am expecting it probably to slow down a little bit now. Um, I think that it's been a really proactive start. I think for a couple of reasons. I think Sunderland are probably in a position where Tony Mowbray and the club will want to have a look in pre-season at where certain players are at. Now, I say that for two reasons. The obvious one is injury. Um, you know, How's Ross Stewart doing? How's Adji Elise doing? How is Dennis Serkin doing? Because these decisions might obviously guide whether you feel you need extra depth. And the other one is some of the young players. You know, we've talked about Jay Matete a lot on the podcast. Where's he at? Um, so, yeah, I think I think there's going to be a little bit of a natural... I won't say pause, because it wouldn't surprise me if someone did do another bit of business at some point in the near future. But I think we will see it slow a little bit while someone work out exactly what they need. And then maybe we might see a little bit more of a flurry towards um, the start of the season. Found it interesting... Phil, that Speakman was talking about outgoings as well. This comes before um, West Ham are being linked with a bid for Dan Ballard. Jack Clark's obviously been linked with a move to Burnley. 
Um, Anthony Patterson loosely linked as well. What has Speakman said about the possibility of Sunderland's players leaving? Because he did reference that maybe the club hadn't communicated that sort of part of the strategy as well as they would have liked and have perhaps maybe unfairly been tagged with the selling club um, the selling club definition. Well, actually, they haven't sold anybody yet. Yeah, I think that was interesting. It was something we discussed with Christian Speakman about a year ago, I think, off the back of... Um, I think it was after promotion from League One and, you know, discussing the fact that at that stage, um, Sunderland hadn't actually had a huge amount of um, formal interest in their players, mainly because the message was pretty clear that it wouldn't be welcome um, and that players like Daniel weren't for sale, for example, last summer. So there wasn't any real formal bids because everybody knew that it was a pretty pointless endeavour Sunderland weren't going to sell. Now, of course, if Sunderland hadn't got promoted from League One, it might have been different. That's not necessarily purely because of the finances, but because of the players themselves. I think some players would have wanted to step up. Um, but I think promotion allowed Sunderland to be really strong last summer. Um, and I think this summer, I think the message is pretty clear that you know Sunderland aren't in a um, in a place where they're looking to sell players. And the message was very much that the ambition over the next season or two is to try and build a team that can get promoted. Obviously, that doesn't mean that nobody will go. I think there are a certain level with all players where if the fee gets large enough, it could potentially be pretty transformative for Sunderland and allow them to reinvest. Um, but certainly, the message was that people shouldn't think that, um, you know, just because at some point we will probably sell a player doesn't mean we're ambitious. Um, and certainly, the message was that if it's going to directly hamper our promotion prospects, um, we're not prepared to do it. And so, that's obviously a really interesting sort of lens through which to look at these Jack Clark, Dan Ballard rumours. We know there's significant interest in Jack Clark and a bid's being rejected from Burnley. Um, but it's you know pretty clear that they're going to have to hit an incredibly high level and for someone to consider doing business. So you can't sit here and rule out any player sale because, like I say, someone might make a bid that uh, you know means someone have to consider it. But I think what I can certainly say is you know, from the messages even before, you know, speaking sport last week, right from the start of the summer, really, messages have been that Sunderland don't need to sell. Um, and obviously, contractually, we know they're in the vast majority of the squad, Ross Stewart being the obvious exception, and um, we know they're in a strong position. So I, I don't expect this team to get broken up this summer. Um, absolutely not. I don't expect a, a significant number of player sales. Could there be one because a Premier League team makes such an ambitious move for a player? Yeah, possibly. Maybe that'll happen. Um, but I don't think we should expect it. And I certainly think that there seems to be a, a pretty clear desire to keep the core of last season's team um, together as much as possible. And it wouldn't surprise me if that team on the first day of the season um, looked quite a lot like the one from the end of last season. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just on the, the squad in general with the, I think it's four new arrivals now, uh, Triantis, Bellingham, Hemia and Jensen Sealt. How significant is it that it's been done so early? We, we know Sunderland returned to pre-season today. Um, I just think of Sunderland's, some of Sunderland's best signings over the years in January came with Clark Bath. Um, Roberts as well was a January signing. They went on to do pretty well for the club. But what's exciting about these signings for me is that they're of a similar age and, and profile, obviously Bath aside, but they've, they've actually got a, a full pre-season to get under the belt as well. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes that's sometimes overlooked, I think, by by us and, and 
and fans as well, maybe, is that you do need a bit of time to get your feet under the table, and it's nice that they're going to have that now. Yeah, and it's it's particularly interesting because some of those players you mentioned, we didn't really see the best of them until the next season. Mm. So For I know sure. that sounds stupid because Clark, Robertson, Barr all ended up being a massive part of that playoff campaign. But if you think back, I don't think Patrick Roberts made his first start until March, which was a no, way and, of Lincoln. And, you know, they certainly weren't as good as they were last season in the championship. No, no uh, way. Uh, certainly by the playoff campaign, you know, Bart was an absolute fixture. We were beginning to see, obviously, Sheffield Wednesday, Clark to Roberts, one of the most memorable Sunderland goals ever, really. But you get my point, actually. You know, Clark, 100%, Clark has been an absolute another level Um this season and part of the reason is I think because he was I know there was a little period before the end of the season and him actually signing permanently because he joined the squad in Portugal didn't he but he was pretty much ready to hit the ground running Yeah, yeah. he knew the system that someone were playing at that time his match fitness was now up his confidence was up so I think it's a massive factor and it's also really interesting because if you look across the championship Sunderland are a lot more active um, than the vast majority of other championship clubs there's a significant number of championship clubs who haven't done any business yet. Mm. Um, now, that doesn't mean someone's going to win the league because you don't get a, any cups for you know signing new players early. No. Um, but I think it tells you that either they're thinking a little bit differently to a lot of clubs, as in they're kind of operating in slightly different markets. Um, I think B, it tells you that the planning's pretty good because they've been, been able to move quickly. And as you alluded to at the start, see, it gives these players the best possible chance of getting match fit. Um, and it also gives Sunderland, as I said before, in terms of how I see this window developing, it gives them an opportunity to have a little think and assess where they might need some cover at the end of the window. Because it may be that one or two of these players come in and they're absolutely flying. It may be that one or two, Sunderland think they're going to need a little bit longer. And this enables them to go out and get a little bit of extra cover if they need it. So I think it's really encouraging. As I keep saying, it's impossible to know how Sunderland are going to fare because the rest of the division is going to be so strong. But I think you do feel like Sunderland are in a pretty strong position at the moment. Indeed. I'm just laughing at uh, Les here on Facebook that says, James, get yourself a glass of water, be professional, please. Welcome to the least professional podcast on earth. Barring maybe, barring maybe wise, wise men say, but that's not a criticism. It's a, it's a compliment. Um, Ahmad Diallo, Phil, is another hot topic of conversation. If you actually look at Sunderland's squad, the number 10 role and possibly another centre midfielder are two positions you'd, you'd definitely look at. Um, what are the chances? Still still slim to none. I know you've you've written about this, but player seems to want to come back. Could it happen? It's probably one that's going to go long, you would think, with you know, yeah. Ten Hag probably wanting to have a look at him yeah. as well. There's lots of factors at play, as there is always with these deals. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot of factors at play. Um I think that yeah, the first thing to say, nothing's going to happen anytime soon because you know Ahmad is is absolutely going to get the chance to to do Manchester's pre-season to go with them to the US. They'll want to give give him some playing time so that Ten Hag can make a decision. I think Sunderland really. I mean, I don't know how you see it. I think Ahmad is always going to be almost a luxury addition if it was to happen. So I don't think I think they're in a position where they probably can be quite patient on that one because obviously. You know, Sunderland were sort of that odd, brilliant team last year who basically played with two right wingers. Um, but you've got Patrick Roberts there. We know they'll want to try and bring Isaac Lahadji on. You've also got Abdullah Bar who operates in those forward positions, Pritchard. So I don't feel like it's a huge gap in the squad that desperately needs filling and therefore you have to kind of rush into a decision. 
So I think Sunderland can just kind of see what Man United want to do. I think it's very clear that Ahmad, well, the, the ideal scenario for Ahmad is to get into Manchester United's team and stay there. I think everybody knows that, everyone understands that. I think if Man United were to say they think he needs a loan elsewhere, I've no doubt that his first choice would be Sunderland. Definitely the case. And so that means that there is a possibility. Um, but I know that sort of Sunderland's thinking, Tony Mowbray, Christian Speakman, their kind of thing is that if Ahmad is going to be made available for loan, there are going to be some big top-tier clubs um, who are willing to, to move for him. And I know that the reports have kind of been, we're talking sort of lower mid-table Premier League teams. I think Sunderland's kind of expectation is there might be some bigger fish in Europe that make want to make a move if it becomes available. And as much as I think Ahmad, would, his preference would be to come back to Sunderland, will he still feel that way if a Bundesliga side in Europe comes in? Or would Man United be able to say, look, this is an incredible opportunity for you, etc. Um, so for me, I, it still feels like a slim possibility, but it's most definitely not one that you can rule out because Ahmad is very enthusiastic about the potential of coming back if you can't break into Man United's team. So for sure, there's a chance. But what I would say is I think that would have to be later in the window. And I still think there's so many moving parts that it would be wise not to get too excited. Because, like I say, I do feel if Man United make that decision that you know a loan would be the best thing for him, I think someone could be trying to compete against some pretty big fish. Um, and if you're from Man United's perspective, I think you'd be quite tempted to try and get him on loan somewhere mm. in Europe. Because if in a year's time you think you might want to sell him, potentially you'll have wanted him to have been operating at a really high level because that will obviously grow his value. So I still think for a few reasons, I think it's. I still find it quite hard to see it. Um, but Sunderland's trump card is that Man United know if he comes back here, the player mm. will be happy and he'll probably be pretty successful. So that means it will remain a live option, really, until it isn't. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there's a lot There's a lot to go. Yeah, And listen, I wouldn't I wouldn't bat, bet against him making a big impression in pre-season. Um, you know, he's going to be in a very good place, isn't he, in, in his fitness and also, also his football. So, um yeah, listen, fingers crossed. You you, cer- you mm. certainly can't rule it out, but I would still suggest it's one of the l- lesser likely scenarios. Uh, just pivoting back around to outgoings again, there's been a, a couple of rumoured, Leon Diaku, um, some reports linking him to Croatia. Alex Bass as well, Sunderland's second-choice goalkeeper. Uh, he's been linked with Leighton Orient. What do you make of those two rumours, Phil? You'd think the well, you'd think if Bass did go, Sunderland would, would need a, a Bass-type player, really. We know Adam Richardson's there, but Carney's gone in the retained list. So that poses a, a minor interesting question. Yeah, they would, they would definitely need to get into the goalkeeper. I think, ideally, you wouldn't want Alex Bass to go because he offers um, a good level of sort of experience, backup, and he's, you know, by all accounts, a really good character to have around the place. But I think also if, you know, I would imagine that the driver of that one would be the player himself. Yeah, I think ultimately, if he wants to go and play week in, week out, um, that well, I, I know for a fact that something won't stand in his way. Actually, um, yeah. it's something that something they're very strong on. One of the things that they sort of present to players when they want them to sign is that if it comes to the point that they want to go and play elsewhere, as long as it suits something, they won't stand in their way. But as I said, with Bailey Wright, of course, in, in January, yeah, exactly, exactly. And sometimes there's been a little bit of understandable understandable criticism because we've sort of looked at it and fans have looked at it and gone where well, you've mm. left them a bit light in that position or 
but it's something that Sunderland are really strong at that they want to be seen as a club who look after players. Um, so if Bass wants to go and play and the opportunity is there, I don't think they'll stand in his way, albeit um, you would absolutely need another another goalkeeper to come in. And Diaku, listen, I think um, it hasn't worked, has it? Um, no. We saw some signs of real promise from him at times. Um, but the problem is really is that he's been trying to break through on that sort of right-wing role where last season Sunderland, the competition were, there. Sunderland were absolutely stacked. Um, and whether Ahmad comes back or not, they probably will be again this year. And up front, it didn't quite work, did it? Um, it's not really a slight on Diaku. It's not his primary role. So I think that would be it. Yeah, I think that would be mutually beneficial. Indeed, we'll move on to the next hot topic of conversation. Uh, Michael Bowers on YouTube messaging in. Happy birthday for the other day, Michael. He says, Kint, know your thoughts, Jens. If Stewart doesn't look like signing a new deal and Sunderland do sell him, how much do you realistically think we'll get? I'd say five to seven million, maybe with current circumstances. Um, yeah, I, su- I suppose you can answer that, Phil, if you want to. But I guess the, the wider point is, what's the, the club stance at the moment? You spoke to Speakman um about it at the at the fixture release, I guess it hasn't changed that much. No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, it's something we've we've alluded to a couple of times this summer that, and you know, sort of relevant to Michael's point about evaluation, really, is that first and foremost, Stuart has to get fit, doesn't he? Um, yeah. I think there's a significant, you know, Sunderland. If if teams come in for for Stuart, Sunderland are going to have a are going to have a difficult decision to make, but. You know, they might well feel that they're not going to get anything close to is probably a good valuation while he's not fully fit. Um, so I think that's probably the first step, um, or at least to get somewhere close to full fitness. Um, and certainly the indications from Sunderland are that while the progress is actually really encouraging in terms of his recovery from injury, there's still a bit of a way to go. Um, and I think it's pretty doubtful that he'll face Ipswich on the first day of the season. So the yeah the impression I got seemed to be that the first things first is for Ross to get fit, and then I suspect Sunderland will make a big push again then um, on the contract front, whether they'll be able to bridge the as we've discussed a few times on the pod, well millions of times on the pod over the last uh, six months too yeah, whether they can bridge what has been a pre- previously pretty significant gap, um I don't know, but certainly the impression I got is that Sunderland, when Stewart's fit, will, will make another big push. If that doesn't get anywhere, then certainly you're in the position where you have to consider um, if any bids come in, then it then it will be a, a difficult decision for someone. Yes, it's a, it's an interesting one. Do we have anything left to talk about, Phil? Now I'm trying to um, trying to think. Help me out here. What, what have we got? Dan Ballard. We'll talk a little bit about Dan Ballard. No surprise, actually, really, that he's been linked with a club that have just won a European trophy. He's a, he's a quality player. He did well for Sunderland last season couple of, of injury issues, which I think limited him to about 17, 18 appearances. But the thing is to say that in those 17, 18 appearances, he was hugely impressive. He's a good age, the right age, you would argue, to make that jump, um, come through uh, Premier League Academy as well in Arsenal. So you've got to be pretty good to, to come through there. To me, though, it doesn't feel like that would happen this window. Similar to Stuart, in a sense, maybe he just needs to, to concentrate on being fit for Sunderland. But... You never know if that big Premier League money comes in. No, exactly. I completely agree with you. Um, if big, big, big Premier League money comes in, then it's probably, a, you know, then maybe there's a conversation there, particularly because it's a position of the pitch where Sunderland now look um, pretty strong. You know, they've um, mm. they've recruited another two young centre-halves. Um, so I suppose that's the kind of the factor whereby 
if the bid was kind of a bit daft, um, <laughs> then maybe it'd be slightly different to some other positions where you would have to... So, for example, a big bid for Jack Clark, you might sort of go, oh, that's interesting. But at the same time, you would factor in that the only other left winger at the club at the moment really is Jefferson Bennett, who obviously is a big talent, but he's had serious injury. We haven't seen him start consistently. So you would factor that in. Whereas I suppose the centre-half, there's quite a lot of players there who are, you know, who are in good order. So I think that's the only thing with Ballard. But what I would say is I would put Ballard in the category with another four or five players, really, where I would say it's a season too soon to be talking about the Premier League for me. Um, you know, I'd put Ballard in with Neil, Serkin, um, probably Clark as well. They've all had sort of different seasons, but they've all had pretty good first seasons at championship level. Um, but I think for them, it's just keep playing, keep playing week in, week out. Um, and if in a year's time, someone hasn't got promoted and the Premier League interests there and you've developed to a point where you could be going at these teams, potentially to really push for a first-team place, um, then I think it's a slightly different conversation. And I think from someone's perspective as well as, and I think this is really relevant in terms of what we've talked before about, you know, inverted commas selling club and things like that. If you're not in a position where you have to sell, then you only sell if the player wants to go and you feel you're going to get maximum value for them. Dan Ballard, after 20 championship appearances, you know, last season, a couple of injuries. If he has a full season, he could be worth a lot of money next summer. If Jack Clark backs up what he did last season, there's every reason to think he will do. The next summer, he's going to be worth a lot of money. If Dan Neal kicks on again. um, So for me, you know, my personal instinct is that for all these players, it's a year too soon to start talking about selling to the Premier League, both from the club's perspective and from the players' perspective, because I'm not sure these guys are ready to really push for regular starts now. And for the club, I don't think they've maximised the value yet on what these players potentially could be worth. So my gut instinct right now is sitting with you, and I've been wrong about lots of things, but you know, as it comes September, we won't really be talking about this as a selling window. Um, I just don't feel like we're quite yet there yet, um, with the obvious, obvious caveat being that if some club panics or if some club really rates these players and wants to take a gamble, then yeah, sure, a big enough offer would of course, you know, make someone consider um what the right thing to do is. But at this stage it just doesn't feel doesn't feel quite right for me. Certainly not for three or four of them to go. That's the point I keep stressing. Do you know? Maybe yeah, yeah. one of the maybe one yeah. of these you can go, well, do you know what? That's good money. Um we feel we can manage a transition in that part of the pitch. We feel we could then reinvest it and maybe get this player. Yeah, I could certainly see that possibly with a player. Um but I don't think um, I don't see it happening on a significant level in this window. It's it, it definitely can be frustrating as a fan when you're seeing all of the players that you really like linked with moves away, all of the players that have performed well for Sunderland linked with moves away. But I guess to flip that, it's a bit of a compliment really, isn't it, Phil? And it shows really just how far Sunderland have come and, and the potential of Sunderland actually that all of these players have been linked with Premier League moves. Just thinking back to, you know, Phil Parkinson's squad, there wasn't many players in that squad being linked with a championship move, for instance. Um, so it's something fairly unique that we haven't seen at Sunderland for a while, that there's there's major interest in young, gifted yeah. players that have the potential to grow. Yeah, it, it is definitely a compliment. I think that's a really good point. And the other thing I would say as well is you can't really have it both ways either. 
yeah. because a big part of bringing in these incredibly talented young players is the almost a tacit understanding that yeah, if a big big club's in comes in for you for big 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 money, you know that's that's okay by us. That's part of this. That's mm-hmm. part of what's going to happen. You know, you you probably don't sign Joe Bellingham if he thinks that in three years' time, if you know someone bids massive money and gives him the chance to play in the Champions League or whatever, suddenly they're going to block it. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, yeah. part part of the story of selling these young players is they're going to come into a good football team. They're going to play in an incredible environment, a real top Premier League atmosphere and environment, um, and that they can either grow with Sunderland and hopefully they can be part of Sunderland getting to to this really high level. But I do think there's almost a tacit understanding that if it doesn't quite, if their development outstrips Sunderland, um, then you won't necessarily stand in their way, providing the valuations right. Mm, mm. And that's not necessarily about being sort of a selling club, if you like. It's just being realistic. So I think you've got to accept that to attract these, this level of talent to Sunderland, you ought, you have to accept that it, in some circumstances, not in every single one, um, but in some circumstances that might mean sort of wishing them well um, on, a, on a different path as well at some point. And I guess that clarity and honesty that Sunderland are providing to players and to the fan base as well is, is most welcome because I'm just thinking in terms of Sunderland's, some of Sunderland's worst transfers and they were just basically sticking plasters to get to get you through really in terms of squad numbers players like Lawrence de Bock there, there was no clarity around that there was no real sort of purpose or ambition to that other than we need a left back he's available let's take a punt and see if he's all right that all seems to have, have fundamentally changed now we've gone on about on and on about that on this podcast but I guess we're sort of entering a different phase that none of us are, are, are too familiar with really yeah and I think the sort of the central defensive stuff is quite an interesting one on that, isn't it? You know, in terms of we're talking about Ballard and if Ballard goes, yeah, well, there's clear progression was, there now, isn't there? Yeah, what what if it was this summer? What if it was next summer? Well, it would it would be really disappointing because he was a great pickup. He mm. seems like a really nice lad, and he's a hell of a defender with a very high seal now. It's and and I think if he went this summer, there would be a sense of what if as well because we haven't actually seen the best of him over thirty yeah, games. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree with that, and and that's why I don't think it's the right window. But we'll see. And it's good after Premier League money can you know can really talk because of the level of it. But you know, going back to the to the point I was making there is that yeah, you it would be disappointing, but you can look at it and go, all right, well, I kind of see what's how this is working. You know, yeah, you've, you've invested in a centre half. You could potentially, you know, if he decides he wants to go, and if the money's big enough, then Sunderland bank a profit, and they've already invested in a couple of young players who could maybe then come in and step in. Um. Like I say, I'm trying not to make it sound like, you know, the whole thing is selling players and turning a profit on them because, you know, like I say, the message last week was very clear. It's not that. It's promotion, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you have to understand that if you aren't a state-backed club, um, if you aren't a club with basically a, a, a tap of money, um, which we know some of the big Premier League clubs are, um then you have to have a little bit of pragmatism built into what you're trying to do. And I just think, you know, the one thing you can take some reassurance from is someone are trying to do that sort of succession planning, if you like, um, within the squad. And that, and that does give me a little bit of encouragement. Excellent. Thank you very much, Phil. You managed to uh, bite down on the gum shield and get through that. Very expert, expertly done, professionally done, I must say. 
I'm hoping it sounds a little bit more professional than it looks with me um virtually passed out on the sofa with me cast. Uh, but there we go. I'm uh, I'm doing best. On a personal note, I'm good for you actually because you um you really enjoy your cricket in the summers and it's it's your downtime and then suddenly you've managed to, <laughs> you've managed to do your arm. So my thoughts are, are certainly with you, mate. Yeah, I'm a little bit bereft to be fair, but so it goes. So it goes. So it goes. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Phil. We uh, we appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do as well. You can head over to the Sunderland Echo website for all of the transfer latest. Make sure you have a look at uh, Phil's Ahmad Diallo piece as well, alongside all of the, the Christian Speakman quotes um, also. But yes, once again, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>